Hello, happy Halloween, and welcome to night number 31 of 31 Nights of Fright, year four, the Stephen King of Horror. My name is Adam, and I'll be your host. Hopefully everybody out there has enjoyed all 30 episodes leading up to this one, night number 31. This also happens to be our second grudge match of the year. While these films share the same name, same concept, same story beats in some respects, they couldn't be any more different. It's time to announce the movie for the final time for year number four of 31 Nights of Frights. Starring Jack Nicholson, Shelley Duvall, Danny Lloyd, and Scatman Crothers, this is the 1980 Stanley Kubrick-directed The Shining. Versus the Steven Weber and Rebecca De Mornay, starring in the 1997 Mick Garris-directed The Shining. This is a well-known and famous one. I think we all pretty much know the story of The Shining, which tells the story of Jack Torrance, who is a recovering alcoholic and writer that is taking the job of the caretaker at the Overlook Hotel for the winter. The Overlook Hotel has a lot of rough winters. The winters are actually so bad that it completely isolates the Overlook Hotel. And the caretaker is there to make sure the hotel has the upkeep it needs as well as making sure the furnace doesn't burn the whole place down. Jack Torrance is joined by his family, Wendy Torrance and Danny Torrance. With Danny having a unique ability, see the dead, talk to people with his mind, and tell when things have or have not actually happened. Oh yeah, my little plot synopsis here, I forgot to mention the Overlook Hotel is extremely haunted. It has a very bad history, with a lot of its guests checking in, but not checking out. The reason that there is two different versions of The Shining is because Stephen King famously hates the original 1980 Stanley Kubrick directed original. Apparently Stephen King was upset that Stanley Kubrick would not even look at what Stephen King was doing as far as a script, and Kubrick would not even take suggestions from King himself as far as what he would like to see on screen. This led to Stephen King for years badmouthing the Stanley Kubrick version. It seems that King has lightened up a little bit on his opinion with the original film, with King actually complimenting it a little bit. It seems like he doesn't actually hate the film, he just doesn't like that it's not what he envisioned his novel to actually be. Stephen King has gone so far to say that the Stanley Kubrick directed The Shining is a beautiful film that lacks heart. He says it's like a classic Cadillac but without the engine. I can understand where King is coming from there. Considering the original Shining film has a very sterile feel about it, it doesn't have a whole lot of emotion, it only has nothing and horror. And I guess that's one thing that makes the movie so enduring to horror fans. It's the fact that it has that overbearing weight-like feel about it. It's even apparent in the score for the film. In the 1997 Mick Garris-directed, Stephen King-written version, the movie has a much lighter feel about it. It almost feels like it takes the source of The Shining and turns it into a B-movie. That's not exactly bad because you have two different feeling versions of the same story. While both films hit a lot of the same beats, they really couldn't be more different. There is definitely a few moments where King's version is better than the Kubrick version. That's in the characterization of Jack Torrance. Jack Torrance actually is likable here. We never get the sense that we want to like the original Jack Torrance. We know that he's an alcoholic. We also know that he looks like he's 
close to flipping out at any given moment. It seems like he's trying hard to keep his anger hidden and he's pretending to be nice. In the 97 version, the issue is, is that Jack Torrance here is too nice, but at least he's given a character arc. It's actually tough to believe that Steven Weber is going to actually hurt his family. Maybe he wasn't necessarily the best choice here, but he's not bad in the role. It's just different, completely different from what we knew. The other characterization is of Wendy. Wendy in the 97 version, she's actually a fleshed out character. She feels like a strong-willed woman. I doubt she would stick with Jack Torrance if she heard Danny crying and found out that Jack broke Danny's arm. I really do like the fact that Rebecca De Mornay was given a lot more to do here than what Shelley Duvall was in the original. There's a really, really strong feeling that in the original 1980 version, Shelley Duvall's Wendy Torrance was abused by Jack. It's never said that I can recall, but it really does seem like she would be an abused housewife. There is a number of things that I do not prefer in Stephen King's ultimate version of The Shining that he wrote for this 1997 version, and that's the fact that it drags. It drags really bad in my opinion. There's not a whole lot of horror elements. Instead, it seems like King was so worried about the characterization, he seemed to forget about the horror stuff. I think maybe director Mick Garris should have had a talk with Stephen King and said, well, maybe we're focusing too much on the family dynamic, which granted wasn't really present in the original and that's King's major complaint. It's just that it's a little much here. When the movie stretched out over four hours, with not a lot of horror elements happening, I think there's a serious problem. A lot of the horror stuff doesn't happen until pretty much the third act, third part of the miniseries. I mean, here's what it comes down to. I get it. Stephen King wanted to create his ultimate version. He wanted to fix the problems of the original. But in doing so, he just scrubbed away anything that might have been scary about it. I would have liked to have seen more of that characterization with the unescapable overbearing horror of the original. It would have made for a wonderful miniseries and I think people would have said, hey, this might actually be superior to the original. But as it stands, the original is a much better film in almost every way except characterization. I really liked how in the 1980 version we had Danny and his creepy voice, his Tony voice, when he would black out and Tony would take over and he would speak with his finger. I think that was really well done. It's also very iconic. Child actor Danny Lloyd is actually very good and he's very believable in the role. I actually really love the fact that we never see Tony. We don't know if it's just that he has like a alternate personality or if he's really talking to Tony and Tony is talking through him. Even though we do see that Danny does have the shine or the shining and has these abilities. The Danny Lloyd in the 1997 version is a different story. His version of Tony, he actually sees him. We see Tony and I honestly can't stand those scenes because to see that ghostly apparition floating around, it's a bit on the annoying side. It also doesn't look good at all. It uh, also comes off as extremely cheesy. This is probably our first indicator that we're getting a almost B-movie shine take on the material. One of the best things that the 1980 version does is its subtlety with its approach to horror. I like that it has a very psychological horror feel. That mixed with that isolation and that there's no hope type of feel. 
that the movie has going for it, it works really well. Stanley Kubrick wanted to scare us, but he also wanted to creep us out a little bit more than providing jump scares or anything of the like. He made a very artistically sound horror film. The 97 version, when the horror stuff actually shows up, well, it's very in your face about it because we didn't get like rotting corpses and stuff. I mean, sure, the lady in the tub in the 1980 version, but in the 97 one, it's like the ghosts and stuff. They all have those rotting faces. Jack Torrance takes on almost like a evil ash type of look about him. That's the easiest way for me to describe it. His face actually changes physically as opposed to Jack Nicholson just kind of contorting his face into that creepy smile that we know. I really don't mind that we saw that physical transformation in the 97 version. I think it works for what's presented. It's not my preferred idea or look, but it works for the film. It's just a little strange that some of them have that Evil Dead Deadite type of look about them, and we actually have a Sam Raimi cameo in this movie. It's just that, oh man, like I mentioned earlier, the 97 version makes you work for any kind of scares. And when they do show up, they're not all that threatening. Another huge difference between the original 1980 version and the 97 version is... In the 80 version, we actually had that hedge maze. That hedge maze is famous. It's iconic with the 1980 version. It also never appeared in the book, which means it was never gonna appear in the 1997 Stephen King written version. Stanley Kubrick made the wise decision to remove the moving hedge animals that was present in the original book. He wanted that hedge maze instead. I think he thought that was a good compromise. It was also a smart thing to do because I think the hedge maze, if you get lost in something like that, I think it's a heck of a lot more threatening than hedges cut into animal form. In this 1997 version, these hedge animals are wonderful CGI creations, and by saying wonderful, I actually mean horrible. It probably would have been handled better if we didn't actually see the animals move, but we do, and it just does not look good. I don't think it looked good back then, and it definitely doesn't look good now. If there was one scene that I really, really liked in the 1997 version, it would have to be the ballroom scene. I thought it was extremely well done. I also like the showing Jack Torrance gradually getting drunk and essentially talking to himself. It was really cool to see what he thought was happening and with a quick cut showing us what's really happening. It should also be noted that this is the part of the movie where Stephen King makes his cameo appearance as the band leader. As far as the how and why the 1980 version of The Shining turned out the way it did, I really do think that it was Stanley Kubrick building on his own experiences with using drugs and alcohol in his life. So you really do have another artist that was consuming another artist's work, bringing to screen what he got from the original novel. This is also where I think Stephen King was disappointed in that adaptation because when Stephen King wrote that novel, he was thinking of something completely different. So from Stephen King's perspective, Stanley Kubrick was ruining his work, where in reality I feel Stanley Kubrick was merely putting to screen his interpretation of the story of The Shining. Maybe he completely missed the point when he read it, but it spoke to him in a different way, a different way than what King intended. And that's one of the things that makes art great. Yes, a novel is art, movies are art. You can go and have two people look at the same piece of art. 
I guarantee you they're going to come up with two different conclusions. Maybe there might be some similarities, but there's always going to be differences in how it makes somebody feel. We do get two different endings with these two different versions of The Shining. In the original 1980 version of The Shining, we have Jack Torrance freezing to death out in the hedge maze and the Overlook Hotel essentially winning. We do actually get confirmation that Jack's spirit never left the Overlook Hotel in the follow-up sequel film, Dr. Sleep. With the ending of the 1980 version of The Shining, it's only ever hinted at that Jack is still there, and maybe Jack was there the whole time because that photograph at the end of the film certainly does imply that. Also, there's little hints throughout, such as the line of, you were always here. I really do like it that that line is given also with that photograph. It allows us to talk about the film and discuss what actually happened and what we think. Of course, it is open to interpretation. To me, when this line is repeated in the 1997 version, I don't think it works, specifically with the way the film ends. Jack, in all of his drunken, possessed rage, forgets to check on the boiler, and the Overlook winds up burning down with Jack inside. We flash forward 10 years later and we see that Danny is now graduating college. We also see that Danny looks exactly like Tony, Danny's supposed imaginary friend. Well, it turns out this was really Danny from the future talking to past Danny. This alone is a pretty weird thing to do for a film. I don't know if this is how the book ended or not, but Danny looks off into the distance and sees his dad blow him a kiss, which he proceeds to catch. It really is kind of a moving moment between father and son. I just really didn't care for the twist with future self talking to past self. It should be noted that this ending wouldn't work with Dr. Sleep with the characterization of Danny. Danny's a mess in Dr. Sleep. I can't imagine this one from This Shining going the same tragic route. Between the two different endings, I prefer the Kubrick ending better than the 1997 version. However, I think both endings work well for their respective films. The big question is, is there a possibility of liking and enjoying both of them? Yes, I think so, as long as you forget the other one exists. Considering this 1997 version is a little bit more on the obscure side, I would imagine most everybody would have seen the 1980 version. Putting them up against each other is an unfair comparison because while they do share a lot of the same story, and it more or less is the same story, they're very different at the same time. I know that earlier in this episode it sounded like I was throwing a lot of shade towards the 97 version, but I really did enjoy my rewatch. The problem with the 97 version is what I said about before. It's way too long. It should have been maybe a three hour movie, possibly three and a half hours. I don't think it should have been four hours because there's so many long stretches of not a whole lot of anything going on. But the miniseries version its final act, the third part, is actually pretty good. Not a whole lot has to be said about the 1980 version of The Shining. It's a classic film. Stanley Kubrick really did create something good, even if Stephen King didn't approve of it. But maybe it's an awesome thing that we have two very different versions of the same story. Alright, and so there we go. We have another year of 31 Nights of Frights in the books. Why did I want to do Stephen King? Mostly because it was a big part of my life. I said about this in the It episode. 
30 days ago about how it was a special thing to see either a new Stephen King film in theaters or to have those ABC events. One of the big exclusions that I had from this was Pet Cemetery. Pet Cemetery was a film that I covered in my first year of 31 Nights of Frights. I also covered the remake on an episode of Adam Analyzes. I also wanted to say about Stephen King's other output for TV. He had a miniseries or TV show called The Golden Years, which I believe aired on CBS. I only saw it once as a rental from Blockbuster. It wasn't exactly horror, instead it was more of a drama with, I don't know, sci-fi elements to it. That was obviously not appropriate for 31 Nights of Frights due to its content. It's not horror. Stephen King later had some TV shows. He had his show Kingdom Hospital, a show that I watched a few episodes of, but I could never really get into it. I'm tempted to go back and try to re-watch it and see if I can get into it now, but when it originally aired for that one season on ABC, it wasn't very good. But that's just what I thought at that time. I do like to try to re-watch things, especially if I don't care for them, to see if I later have a different opinion. One of his biggest TV show hits and only TV show hit that I'm aware of would have to be Under the Dome. Under the Dome aired on CBS. It ran for three seasons with Steven Spielberg as producer. As far as I know, Under the Dome strayed very, very far from its original source material story. And that show was a show that I watched all three seasons and I don't know how and why it wasn't good. It was probably some of the worst TV that I've ever seen on a network. So as it stands, not everything that he was involved with on TV was gold. But those miniseries that aired on ABC and even the ones that didn't air on ABC but other networks, a lot of them are pretty special and they're going to go down in history as some really great television as well as some really great movies. So if by some chance that Stephen King would have heard any of these episodes of me talking about adaptations of his works, I can sum it up in two words. Thank you. I think it's time to close out the final night of 31 Nights of Frights. As a reminder, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam underscore analyzes. If you need to catch up on past episodes of 31 Nights of Frights or my weekly podcast Adam Analyzes, you can do so at adamanalyzes.com. If you don't do the whole social media thing and you would like to reach out to me, go ahead and feel free to send an email to adamanalyzespodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you're enjoying my podcast, why not tell a friend about it? Why not tell two friends? Or, if you have a free moment, I would greatly appreciate it if you would leave a 5-star rating at the podcast listening platform of your choice. It'll allow me to reach new listeners as well as create new content. But with that being said, be kind and I'm not done yet. We will keep this quick this year, but I did want to throw out some dedications. I wanted to dedicate this year's 31 Nights of Frights again to my mom and dad. Uh, hopefully there is an afterlife and that uh, somehow you're able to listen to my podcast, as I think both of you would probably enjoy it. Uh, this year my grandmother has passed away as well. She had no idea what I did as far as the podcast, but she said as long as I'm enjoying it, 
that, you know, I should keep doing it and whatnot. So, so if there is an afterlife, hopefully she found my mom and dad and they actually played it for her to let her know that I was doing some pretty cool things as far as recording. The ones that I would like to thank on this plane of existence is my girlfriend, Nicole. Thank you for supporting me in doing my podcast. Thank you for guesting this year. I also want to thank Marvin and Will, my two other podcast buddies for In Our Honest Opinion, our weekly podcast, which sometimes gets pushed to two weeks per episode, but we're still trying to make it work as far as getting the episodes out to everyone. And this year's season of 31 Nights of Frights, year four, would not have been possible without the works of Stephen King and the various directors out there that pulled off some pretty great as well as some pretty bad adaptations, but... Thank you for doing an adaptation of the works of Stephen King. It allowed me to talk about 31 movies that were either really good or pretty bad, but either way, it was a blast going through all of them. So now, with all of that being said, I think it is time to close out year four of 31 Nights of Frights. I hope everybody out there has a great Halloween and enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed recording. So here it is. With that being said, be kind and good night. I will see you back here soon for Adam Analyzes.